Hallelujah, there's nothing I've done to deserve such a Savior, such a Father, such a love. So grateful that God loves us no matter what. You know, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more, any less than he does right now. When I sin, when I mess up, it crushes his heart because he knows how it crushes me and how it hurts and destroys. But he loves me just the same. And when I serve him and do all the things that he calls me to do, he doesn't love me anymore because he loves me perfectly already. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less than he does right now. But here's the thing. We can choose to love him and focus on him and look to him. And that's where we find fulfillment. That's when we discover why he placed us on this earth, because you belong to him. If you've received Christ, you're a child of God. You're righteous in Christ. God has great plans and a great purpose for you no matter what you're going through. And when the world crashes down and all you can do is try not to drown, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, because you're his. You're his kid. You look to him. He loves you. I want us to bow our heads and let's pray and let's just thank him. Dear God, I thank you that you're here right now and I know that you're right with every person who's worshiping online, wherever they are, and everyone here at our Woodlands campus or Atascacita campus, Lord, you're, you're right here. And we forget you so many times, but you never forget us. And I thank you, Lord, that we belong to you and that changes everything. And Lord, I pray already for those who don't know that they belong to you. They don't know if they belong to you or not, Lord. They've never received you, that even now you'd begin speaking to their hearts and just calling them close. And I know, Lord, that there's so many within the sound of my voice who feel like their world is crashing down and all they can do is try not to drown. Lord, I pray that you'd help every one of us look to you today and that you would meet us at our deepest point of need. And I thank you, Lord, that you love us, you care about us, and you have the power to meet our deepest need. Do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, we're in this faith-building series that I'm calling the Wilderness Survival Guide because in life, we all find ourselves in the wilderness at times, and we don't know which way to go. It may be a wilderness of unexpected problems that turns into a wilderness of worry, a wilderness of confusion. It may be a wilderness of bad decisions where you go down a wrong path and you end up in the wilderness and you wonder how you got there. Or maybe it's a wilderness of pain and loss and grief. Well, last week, we learned that God wants to make a way in the wilderness. Now, I always pray for God to make a way out of the wilderness for me. I wanna get out of the wilderness. And sometimes he does that. He gets me out of the wilderness. I love that. But most of the time, God wants to make a way in the wilderness. He wants to make a way in me. He wants to change me and change everything around me. God wants to use me as a change agent for his glory. But today, we're gonna look at how God can make a way where there's no way. God can make a way when you see no way out, no way for God to make a way, no way for God to make a way in you or in the wilderness, because we have a God who can make a way where there's no way. We have a God who can make your path straight. We have a God who can stop the storms. We have a God who can make all things new. We have a God who can make a way in the wilderness, and we have a God who can make the difference, all the difference in your life. And so I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter three, and we're gonna see a miracle in the wilderness today. And so just follow along with me. Would you stand in honor of God's word? And don't get confused by all these names and all these kings that are a little different because there's something really powerful in here that God wants you to get. I believe that God has a personal and powerful word for you today. So King Jehoram left Samaria for battle at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, 
the king of Moab has broken away from me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. Consider me yours, my people is your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, the way of the wilderness of Edom. You can be seated, and I want you to focus on that last phrase, the way of the wilderness. The way of the wilderness changes you. When you go through the wilderness, it changes you, for good or bad. The way of the wilderness changes you. You either get better or you get bitter. The way of the wilderness defines you or it destroys you. And it all depends on what you do in the wilderness of life. Well, let me give you some background to this passage. Years before this takes place, the Israelites kind of had a civil war. And the kingdom of Israel was split in two. There was the northern kingdom called Israel, and there was the southern kingdom called Judah. Now, this had happened years before this, and I just want you to grasp this, that after years of being a split kingdom, there is now a king in Israel, in the northern kingdom, and his name is Jehoram, and he's a wicked king. His mother and father were Ahab and Jezebel, the most wicked king and queen who ever ruled in Israel. And Jehoram is not quite that bad, but he still worships idols, and he doesn't really follow God. He's kind of a my way or the highway kind of king. I would call him my way Jehoram because he doesn't go God's way. Jehoram says it's my way, not God's way. But in the southern kingdom, in Judah at this time, we have a godly king. His name is Jehoshaphat, and he really wanted to serve God and to please God. He started following God in an early age, and he loved God. He wanted to go God's way. And so let's call him God's way Jehoshaphat. Now, the king of Moab was giving 100,000 rams and 100,000 lambs to the king of Israel as tribute, kind of ransom. And then when Ahab dies and his son, Jehoram, takes over, the Moabites say, we're not going to pay you anymore because we're not very scared of you. We were scared of your father, but you seem kind of like a wimp, so we're not going to do this anymore. Well, my way, Jehoram gets really angry. And so he's going to teach the rebellious Moabites a lesson but he needs help. He can't do it on his own. So my way, Jehoram, calls on God's way, Jehoshaphat, to help him out. And in verse seven, it says, he also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. So my way, Jehoram, who didn't follow God, calls on God's way Jehoshaphat to help him out. And he says, hey, will you come with me? The Moabites are our enemies. You know, it's a common enemy. Come with me, and we'll get the king of Edom together. We'll have three kings against one, and we will teach these rebellious Moabites a lesson. Are you with me? And God's way Jehoshaphat says, sounds great. He was probably thinking that this would be a good thing maybe to patch up some of their differences between the northern and southern kingdom to bring the kingdoms more into alignment. This had to be a really good thing. Plus, it was three kings against one, so there's no risk. Uh, they were gonna whoop up on the Moabites, so he wasn't taking a risk at all. I mean, everything just seemed to fall into place. It seemed like a really good thing, so he said, sounds great but he didn't pray about it. He didn't ask God about it. In God's way, Jehoshaphat would always bring things to God, and he would talk to God about it, but in this decision, he didn't pray about it. He doesn't ask God about it. Why? Because it was a really good opportunity. It was a really good thing. It was a really good project. I mean, this was a really good endeavor with really good intentions and really good motives. It was a really good opportunity, but it wasn't a God opportunity. And folks, if you say yes to every good opportunity that comes into your life, you're gonna be in a wilderness wasteland of unfulfillment and burnout. There's so many good opportunities that come into my life, but there are only a very few God opportunities. And if you say yes to all the good opportunities that come into your life, you're gonna miss out on the God opportunities because good is the enemy of the best. And when you choose something good, you don't pray about it and say, is this a God thing or a good thing? 
and you just say yes, yes, yes to everyone and everything that comes along because it's a good opportunity, it seems like a good thing and you don't pray about it, you're gonna end up with a life that's overcrowded doing things that don't bring you any fulfillment because you're gonna miss out on God's best. When you choose the good, it leaves no room for God's best. And that's why God wants us to pray about everything that comes into our lives and follow God's way. And so God's way Jehoshaphat becomes wayward Jehoshaphat in this instant. Because at that moment, he makes a decision without God's direction. He was a godly king, he sought God, but like you and I, at times when we see a good opportunity and it seems like a really good thing, and God, you've gotta be in this. I mean, it's gonna bring people more together, it's gonna bring about some more peace, and, and you know, the Moabites are a common enemy, and all of us are coming together, it's gonna be great. So this has to be you, God, he didn't pray about it. And when we don't pray about it, we become wayward. Yeah, you may have Christ in your life, but if you start making decisions without him, you go down the wrong path. You become wayward. And then Jehoshaphat says, hey, I'll do this because I'm just like you. We're so alike, we're both Hebrew kings, we go through the same kind of things. I know what you're going through, man. I mean, I deal with the same kind of problems. It's windy at the top, no one really gets us because, man, we've got it tough. We're over all of this stuff. It's really hard. And so, hey, I'm just like you are. We're just alike. And he says, my people are like your people. You know, it's the Hebrew people. We're one people. We have the same customs. Hey, we're so alike. He even says, and my horses are like your horses. He's saying, we're just alike in every aspect. And they were just alike in every aspect except one little difference. One was a godly king and one wasn't. That made them completely different, completely opposite because that's the most important thing. And sometimes I talk to single adults who say, you won't believe I met the perfect guy. He's so amazing. He's so kind. I mean, he's so thoughtful. And we're just alike. We both love pizza. It's amazing. I mean, can you believe that? We are so alike. And he's so amazing. There's just one little thing. He's not a Christian but I'm trying to get him to come to church, and I think, it's gonna, I think it's gonna work out great, but he's great. Everything but that, he's great. And I wanna say, you're totally different. You're completely different because that's the most important thing in life. And if Christ is not in your life, you can never have a spiritual oneness, the deepest form of oneness, and that's the most important thing. It's just so important to understand that wayward, Jehoshaphat goes the wrong direction because he thinks, I'm just like this guy. We're right together, everything's great. He even asked my way Jehoram for directions. You better be careful who you're asking for directions in life, who you're looking up to, who influences you, who is your influencer, who are your models in life, who are you looking to? You need to be really careful about that. I'm so surprised at times when Christ followers will go to people that are so immature for advice. You know, and they'll share their problems like, man, it's really tough, and, I, and they're sharing it with somebody who, like, maybe it's a marriage problem, and they go, you know, I'm really struggling with marriage problems, well, what do you think I should do here? And it's like, and they're asking someone who's been divorced five times. You know, it's like, hey, you know, think about it. Isn't there anybody, anybody, who's been married for a few years and it's going okay? You know, I mean, anyway, I'm just shocked at how we look to people for advice, thinking, oh, yeah, that'll be great, when God has so many out there who could be mentors and models. Who, who are you looking to? Who's your influencer? And so in verse 8, then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, the way of the wilderness of Edom. And whenever I go my way rather than God's way, I end up in the wilderness. They go into the wilderness because... My way, Jehoram says, hey, I've got this brilliant idea. I'm a really smart guy, so that's why you need to listen to me, Jehoshaphat. What we're gonna do is we're gonna go through the wilderness and no one will ever suspect that. The Moabites won't suspect that. It'll be a surprise attack because they'll think they're not dumb enough to go through the wilderness to attack us, but we are dumb enough to do that. So we're gonna do that and it's gonna be brilliant. And what we're gonna do, we're gonna sneak 
into the wilderness and we're gonna go into the wilderness and they'll think, no, they can't even make it to the wilderness. But we'll make it, we'll bring enough supplies, we'll be okay, we'll get to the wilderness and then we'll surprise attack them. We'll sneak up behind them. They'll never suspect it. And so my way, Jehoram thinks he's pretty brilliant and creative and, and he convinces Jehoshaphat, yeah, let's do that but they go right into the wilderness. And whenever I choose my way over God's way, I end up in the wilderness right away. So God's way, Jehoshaphat aligns himself with two ungodly kings, and they bring Jehoshaphat down to their level. And he becomes wayward Jehoshaphat. Now folks, God is a way maker, but there are a lot of people out there who are wayward makers. You know what I mean? I mean, you hang around them, you become wayward. God is a way maker, and if you don't spend time with the way maker, but you're hanging around all these wayward makers, then you're gonna be wayward. You're gonna take the wrong path. You're gonna go down the wrong path. Why? Because it's a lot easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up. Pastor Chance is gonna help me out. I, I, I've done this before, but I think it's so important to remind you that it's a lot easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up. And if you're hanging around wayward makers, Rather than the way maker, they're gonna pull you down. It's as simple as that. Now, now I'm really strong. I can bench press 750 pounds. Come on. Come on. That's my dream in heaven. And see, look, Chance, Chance is just a little weakling, and I'm much more spiritual than him, for sure, you know. But he's giving me some trouble. Ah! It's a lot easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up. How you doing? Good to see you. How you doing? How are you? Good to see you. Hey, how are you? It's a lot easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up, but we always think, you know what? I'm being a really good influence on them. Now, I have many friends that don't know Jesus, that don't know the Lord. I like to hang around lost people, but they're not my influencers. The people that influence me that I'm really close to are people that I look up to because they love God, and I wanna be more like them. I wanna hang around them because I want them to take me up. I wanna keep going up and up and up. But when you're always trying to pull everybody up, if all you're hanging around are wayward makers, then you're gonna go the wrong way. Sometimes we can't figure that out. Sometimes we start walking down a path with wayward makers, and then we get to this place where we wonder, how in the world did I get here? And it's like, well, that's the only place that path leads. You step on a path with wayward makers, you're gonna get wayward and you're gonna get way off track in your life and eventually derail. And so God's way Jehoshaphat becomes wayward Jehoshaphat because these two kings pull him down to their level. In Proverbs 132, it says, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Wow. So waywardness is dangerous. The wayward path is a destructive path. It's a dangerous path. Now, here's God's way, Jehoshaphat, that he takes the wrong way, and it's really dangerous. What it's saying here is going with the flow is not good when the flow is going off a cliff. You gotta go against the flow. Now, Jehoshaphat, I think, gets into trouble because he thinks King Jehoram is a big deal. I think that must have been what it was because he wants to impress King Jehoram, he, he wants to show King Jehoram what a great king he is. He wants to please King Jehoram here. I, I think that's where he gets into trouble and he forgets about God because King Jehoram is a really big deal in his mind. I think God gets small in his mind and he forgets about God here. Proverbs 1, 7 says, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, if I fear God, I won't fear anything else or anyone else. Now, fearing God simply means to hold God in reverence, in awe. It's this healthy fear. It's not being scared of God and running from God. It's holding God in his rightful place and seeing God as he is instead of what we try to make him, put him in our own little box of understanding. It's that healthy fear of God. When I fear God, I don't fear anything else. If fears start creeping up in your mind and you start fearing people, you start trying to please people, and I've struggled with that all my life, people-pleasing, but when that starts creeping up in my heart again, in my life again, I realize I'm losing a healthy fear of God. 
Because when you see God as he is, people get real small. Because God is bigger than any problem you have, and God is greater than any person that you'll relate to. But I believe here what happens is Jehoshaphat gets in trouble because he's trying to please King Jehoram because Jehoram's a big deal in his eyes and God gets a lot smaller. You see, your view of God will determine everything about your life. Your view of God and who God is will determine all your decisions that you make. It will determine your relationships. It will determine your purpose in life. Your view of God is so important. And the problem is we usually try to put God into our own little box of understanding where we can understand God better so that he can revolve around us and he can meet our needs and it's all about our needs and our wants and God is there just to serve me rather than me there to serve God. And so we make God smaller and when you make God smaller, your problems get really big and overwhelming. When you make God smaller, people get really big and intimidating. But when you see God as he is, there's no way you can fathom God, no way we can understand God. He's so much greater than we could ever fathom. When you see God as he is, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, unlimited, almighty God, and we begin to see God as he is, then people get a lot smaller. Our problems get a lot smaller, and that's what you're doing here right now when you're worshiping and you focus on God, that huge problem you carried in here as you're walking through the wilderness has gotten really small because you get perspective when you worship. Worship is just focusing on God. When you focus on God and who he is and how great he is, the creator of the cosmos and that he cares about you and you begin to focus on him, your problems come into perspective. Let me share it with you this way from the prophet Isaiah in verse 40. Have you not been paying attention? Have you not been listening? Haven't you heard these stories all your life? Don't you understand the foundation of all things? God sits high above the round ball of earth. The people look like mere ants. He stretches out the skies like a canvas. Yes, like a tent canvas to live under. He ignores what all the princes say and do. The rulers of the earth count for nothing. Princes and rulers don't amount to much. Like seeds barely rooted, just sprouted. They shrivel when God blows on them. Like flecks of chaff, they're gone with the wind. When you see God as he is, then people get really small. It says God looks at us and just like little ants. You're the most powerful person on earth right now. God's just a little ant. Here today, gone tomorrow. And yet God loves us and cares about us and cares about every detail of our life. God is greater than we could ever fathom, but he's closer than we could ever imagine. God is greater than we could ever fathom, but we want to understand God. It's like, I don't understand, God. I don't understand what you're doing here. I don't understand. This makes no sense to me. But think about it for a moment. If you could understand everything about God, that would mean God is no smarter than you. And we're all in trouble if that's the case. I want a God who is greater and smarter than I am, so I don't want to understand everything about God. I can't fathom everything about God. Evelyn Underhill said, if God is small enough to be understood, then he's not big enough to be worshiped. We have a God we can worship. So many things about God we can't understand from his word and from our relationship with him. We can get to know him and get close to him. And he's always there to be close to us, but there's some things we'll never understand because he's God and I'm not. And so I think Jehoshaphat, God got a little smaller and people got bigger and that got him into trouble. And the three kings agree on a plan that's just a brilliant plan. They set off in the wilderness and in verse nine it says, so the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. So they go seven days into the desert and they're right next to Moab. The enemy army is just waiting down the road they go seven miles into the desert and the last watering hole before Moab is dry. That's disaster, folks. They know exactly what that means when they get there because they're dying of thirst already and they're planning on this last watering hole that they've seen before. It's gonna be there and it's not. It's dry. 
so they know what that means. They can't go back seven days when they're dying of thirst. They'll die on the way, and they can't go forward and fight the Moabites because they have no energy because they're dying of thirst. So here they are. You see, my way always leads to a no way. They chose their own way, and it led to a no way. No way out of the wilderness. But that's not a terrible thing if God can use that in your life. He's used that in my life many times. And what I wanna really focus on, if you don't get anything else from this message, this is the whole point of the message. What do you do, what do I do when my way turns into a no way and there's no way out of the wilderness? There's no way in the wilderness. There's no way out of the wilderness. What do you do when my way turns into a no way? Well, you don't do what my way Jehoram did. Look at 2 Kings 3.10. He says, what, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? He blames God. He says, you know, has God told us to go into the wilderness and God did all this and now we're in the wilderness? God, what are you doing? Why did you get us into this situation? And, And God's like, I had nothing to do with it. You didn't ask me. You made all the decisions yourself. Don't blame me for this one. And many times when we get into the wilderness of life, the first thing we want to do is blame, God, what are you doing in my life? God, I don't understand why you're allowing this. God, why did you lead me here? And God said, I had nothing to do with it. You didn't pray about it. You didn't ask me about it. You're not going my way. You chose your own way. And so he he just blames God. And that just digs an even deeper hole. But in 2 Kings 3.11, look what Jehoshaphat does. Jehoshaphat says this. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? And so wayward Jehoshaphat doesn't blame God. He turns to God. And he goes from wayward Jehoshaphat back to God's way, Jehoshaphat. And this is so encouraging to me. And he says, I admit, I got in the wilderness with my own bad decisions. He doesn't blame Jehoram going, he talked me into it, God. He doesn't blame anyone but himself. And he says, we need God, we need God's way. And the way God would speak back then was through a prophet that he ordained. And so Joshua said, we need God's word and God's way now. He's no longer trying to impress my way Jehoram. He's just concerned to look to God. He's not looking to people any longer. He's he's looking to God. He's looking back to God. He's turning back to God. And Jehoshaphat does the first thing you do when you're in the wilderness with no way. You remember God. In Isaiah 44, 21, it says, remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant, Israel. I will not forget you. I've swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. God says, You may forget me, but I will never forget you. You may have forgotten to talk to me about this decision, but I didn't forget you. I've inscribed you on the palm of my hands, and I followed you into the desert, because I'm gonna go with you wherever you go. I'm gonna be there. You've taken me to some pretty bad places the last few days, but I'm I'm with you. I'm right here for you to turn to me. You may forget me, but I will never forget you, and some of you have forgotten God over the last week over the last month, over the last 10 years, you were once close to God. You were going God's way, but you've forgotten about God. You've been trying to please people. You've been trying to to fix your circumstances. You've been trying to control things, but you're not God, and you found that out, and you're in the wilderness. Don't blame God. Turn to God. You forgot God, but he hasn't forgotten you. He knows everything about you, and he's right there. He's right there in the wilderness if you'll just remember and return. Those are the first two things you need to do when you're in the wilderness. And a my way has turned into a no way is you remember God and you return to God. He's right there to forgive. That's what happened with Jehoshaphat. Wayward Jehoshaphat went right back to being God's way, Jehoshaphat. He was a godly king, but he didn't pray about this decision. And it got him into the wilderness and all kinds of trouble. But when he came to the dead end, he turned to the God who could deliver, the only one who can. Because God's way is the only way in the wilderness. There's no other way. Remember and return. 
And so Joshua said, is there a prophet? Is there someone who God speaks through? Because we need God. We need to find out what God wants. And so in 2 Kings 3, 11, an officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Joshua said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Joshua and the king of Edom went down to him. So he said, is there a prophet of God who can, we can know what God's way is? And one of the officers says, you know what? I just saw the prophet. I saw the main man, Elisha, at breakfast this morning. He's right here with us in the camp. Now, what in the world was old prophet Elisha doing out in the desert seven days with these three armies? Why was he there? Because he was following God. I'm sure God had told him, Elisha, I want you to go with these three kings who are being foolish, but I need you to go with them out into the desert. You're, you're almost gonna die of thirst, but I'm gonna take care of you. I need you to be out there because when they hit a dead end and they reach a no way, I need you to show them that I can make a way where there's no way. I need you to be the light for them, to show them when Jehoshaphat turns back to me, I need you to be there so I can show him that I can turn his no way into my way and change the wilderness. And that shows me that sometimes God and God's way leads us into the wilderness. You see, sometimes we end up in the wilderness and we think we're out of God's will, and that's not always the case because Elisha was directed by God. God divinely directed him into the wilderness to build his faith and so that he could show those who are wayward the way. And maybe God has allowed you to go into the wilderness. Maybe God is the one who's directed you into the wilderness. It's not your fault. You've been praying about it. You've been following God. You've been obeying God, but you're in the wilderness. You're wondering, God, what's going on? Why haven't you come through? And sometimes God will lead us into the wilderness to build our faith, to show us his greatness and his power to make a way in the wilderness and to use us to show those who are wayward the way. You say, Carrie, I'm at this workplace. There's no Christians. It's terrible. I mean, it's a terrible work environment. There's not much leadership. It's awful. I, I just need to pray for a way out. Well, maybe. Maybe God will lead you out, but maybe God wants to make a way in the wilderness. Maybe you're the only one who can show the wayward the way with your example. Maybe you're the one that's supposed to be the thermostat that will change the temperature of that office place as you show what God is like in your life. I, I don't know, but I think it's so important for us to say, God, why am I in the wilderness? And to recognize if God's led you there, then he's gonna make a way in the wilderness. And he's teaching you something. He's building your character and he's gonna show himself real to you. You hang on, don't give up in the wilderness. God's getting ready to pour water into the wilderness, streams into the desert. He's gonna turn that wasteland into a wonderland. God is getting ready to do it. Just stay right there. Stay right there and wait for the Lord. Well, Elisha was directed by God to go into the wilderness. And I love this next verse in, in verse 15, but before we get to it, I gotta tell you a verse that's not in there. This king Jehoram, wicked King Jehoram, comes up to Elisha and he's still complaining, God led us here and it's awful and I don't know why we're coming down to talk to you. And then Elisha says, I have nothing to do with you, King Jehoram. Why don't you go to the prophets of your mommy and daddy? Why don't you go worship those idols that, that you built and handcrafted? Why, see if they'll give you some water. He just mocks him. And, and so that shows me that God is big and that king is really small in his eyes. He's not trying to impress the king. He just tells it like it is because he knows his God is greater than any person and greater than any problem. And then in verse 15, Elisha says this, now get me a musician. As the musician played his harp, the power of the Lord came on Elisha. And that's the third thing you do in the wilderness. You remember God, you return to God, and you worship in the wilderness. Remember God, return to God, and then you worship in the wilderness because we don't feel like worshiping in the wilderness. We feel like complaining in the wilderness or blaming in the wilderness, but God says, you start to worship in the wilderness, you, you start to focus on me, and that's what worship is. I mean, you can sing, it's part of worship, 
You can sing when you don't feel like singing and you sing to God and something happens in the wilderness. God begins to speak to your heart and encourage you and streams of joy begin to flow in the desert of your soul. Streams of fulfillment begin to flow all around you when you begin to worship in the wilderness. You remember God, you return to God, and you worship in the wilderness. And in 2 Kings 3, 16, after he worshiped, and he said, this is what the Lord says, dig ditches all over this dry stream bed. Even though you will not see any rain or wind, this stream bed will be filled with water, and you, your livestock, and your pack animals will have plenty to drink. So he says, okay, God spoke to me, and he says this, dig ditches all over this desert. Dig ditches all over this dry desert. That's what God wants you to do because in the morning when you wake up, every ditch that you have dug is gonna be filled to the brim and overflowing with clean, pure water. It's so interesting that he would say dig ditches. And this shows me that God's way doesn't make sense to us at times. God's way doesn't make sense to us at times. He says, here's the answer. Pick up a shovel and dig a ditch. It's like, God, I mean, that's kind of humiliating. I mean, Jehoshaphat, get a shovel. Everybody get a shovel and let's dig ditches. That's what God told them to do. And when you're in the desert, you just obey God. After you worship just obey, take the next step of obedience, whatever God says, because God's way always requires faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And God said, I want you to dig ditches. Now, what I would have said to God would have been, great, God, that's wonderful. I've got a shovel right here. I'm gonna dig about a foot down, and why don't you do your part and fill that up? And when I see that's full, then I'm gonna drink a little of that and get some sustenance, and then I'll dig it a little deeper, and then you fill it up a little more. And then I'll dig a little deeper, and you fill it up a little more, God. That, that would be great, God, if you would do that, because don't you realize that God was saying to them, dig ditches, and what that meant was, they're already dying of thirst, it just meant they would die quicker. I mean, can you imagine, it's like they're dying of thirst, and God says, I know what you need to do, you need to exert all the energy you can. Just give it all you've got. Keep sweating. Give it all you've got. I know you're dehydrated right now, but what I need you to do is get out there in that hot sun and dig ditches. It makes no sense. And sometimes God will ask you to do something that makes no sense to see if you'll trust him. He already knows whether you will or not, but it's for your sake to build your faith in God, to know that he always knows what's best, and it always requires faith. He said, dig the ditches, and in the morning, I'm gonna fill it up. And a lot of times we say, God, if you will just bring the springs of water toward me, then I'll dig ditches and, and, and it'll fill up those ditches. But first, you bring the water, then I'll start digging. How about that, God? So I know that I'm not dying quicker. No, at least they obeyed God. They did it. They dug those ditches. What choice did they have? And they were going to die anyway, but they obeyed God. And sometimes God will ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. And it's interesting because in life, we always want to do things that don't require faith. It's like, God, if you'll come through for me, then I'll really obey you. And God says, you obey, and then I'll come through. You do what I say, then I'll come through. It's like, God, if you will just help me win the lottery, I promise I will probably tithe on it. It depends on the taxes. You know how those things are. I'm probably going to, hey, I've actually had people come to me and say, Pastor Kerry, would you pray for me? I've been playing the lotto for years, and I just believe that God's told me that I'm going to win. And when I do, I'm probably going to give 1%, you know? to the church, and it's like, uh, yeah, that's great. Well, we'll plan next year's budget based on that, yeah. No, I say, no, I'm not gonna pray for that. I've got other things to pray for you about, so um, I'm gonna stick to those 100 other things that I need to pray for you about, but, um, but yeah, you know, we want, God bless me. If you bless me and, and you dump these blessings on me, then I'll dig a hole so that there's a place to put it and, and to hoard it. And God says, no, you gotta dig a ditch. You dig the ditch first in faith and obedience and then I'll fill it. You gotta step out in faith and then I'll open the door. You gotta step into the water, then I'll part the sea. You gotta step into it in faith and obey. And I'm telling you, when God tells you to dig a ditch, don't you shovel back excuses to God, you just pick up a shovel and you dig. When God tells you to dig a ditch, don't ask questions, just pick up a shovel. When God tells you to dig a ditch, 
Don't argue with God. Don't say, God, this doesn't make sense. Help me understand it more. Don't you shovel things back at God. You just pick up a shovel and you start digging and God will bless. God always comes through. When we obey, that obedience brings blessing. You take those steps of obedience in the desert. You remember God, you return to God, you worship in the wilderness, and then you just obey. Just do what God says, faithfully. And God will fill those ditches. You dig ditches, and God's gonna fill it up, and God's gonna bless, and God's way always requires faith. But God's way is the only way. You need to know that. If you try any other way, God's way is the only way. You're gonna keep coming back to a dead end, and some of you just keep coming back to the same dead end over and over again, and God says, I want you to learn to trust me. I want you to take my word and just do it. I want you to put me first, give me the first day of the week, like you're doing right now, whether it's online or here. Give me the first day of the week and put me first. Give me the first part of your day each day. Five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in my word. Give me the first portion of your income. Put me first. Well, God, if you'll bless me, then I'll start doing that. God says, no, you do that, then I'll start blessing you, and I'll meet your needs. Give God the first consideration in every decision. Now, I wish I could say as your pastor that, oh, every decision I've made, I've always prayed about it, and God's led me. No, there have been so many decisions. The biggest decisions of my life, God has been so gracious, and I've prayed, and God has just led me just to the right thing, and, but there's so many decisions that I've made without God, and it seemed like a little decision at the time, but it ended up being a big mistake. In the wilderness, but it's in the wilderness when my way turns to a no way that God shows me that he can take a no way and he can make his way, but it's always God's way and it's the only way. Don't ever forget that. God's way is the only way and God's way is always greater than my way. And you see, I can't think big enough for God. God's way is always bigger. If it's God's will, it's something you can't do on your own. But we wanna take the risk out of it, the faith out of it, and we wanna just make God small. We think God can't come through, and so we try to make everything small, and we miss out on the big plan that God has for us. In Isaiah 55, eight, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's saying that, I think too small. You know, I, I go paths that are too safe. And God says, my ways and my path and my thoughts are so much bigger than you could ever imagine. One of the things that we've always said at Woodland Church is dream big, pray hard, and build people. That's been one of our slogans for years, dream big, pray hard, and build people. And what I have found is you can never dream big enough for God. If it's God's dream and not a selfish dream, it's gonna be a big dream because God is a big and great God who wants to do big and great things in your life. And I said last week, there are a lot of things you don't get to choose in life. So many things beyond our control. You don't get to choose who your parents would be. You don't get to choose what country you're born in. You don't get to choose so many things in life, but you do get to choose one really important thing and that's how much you choose to believe our almighty God. That's your right. God gives us that right, and he says, be it done to you according to your faith. We get to choose how much we believe God. And God loves it when his kids believe him for great things. When my kids were growing up, you know, they thought I could do anything. You know, I mean, they, they thought, I mean, I don't have a mechanical bone in my body, but you know, if their bike would break, well, dad will fix it. No, but I would try, because it felt so good. Hey, dad, fix this, dad, fix that. And it's like, nope. But um, while you're at school, I'm gonna take it to the shop. <laughs> or find one of the guys down here who's mechanically inclined at church, and a miracle's gonna happen. I mean, they just, now my wife's never believed in me quite like that. You know, it's like if something goes wrong in the house, it's like, I think I can fix it. And she says, but do you really want to? Because I, I think we might could save some money by paying someone a lot of money. You know, and, uh, but folks, we've got a God who can do anything. He's the God of the impossible, and he loves it when his kids say, Daddy God, you can do this. You can do this big thing. Daddy God, you can fix this. Daddy God, you can change this. Daddy God, you can make a way in the wilderness where there seems to be no way. God loves that. We dream way too small, and we want it way too fast. 
So many times the dreams God gives us are these big dreams that he wants us to dream big and it's gonna take time. You have to wait on the Lord. There's gonna be steps of faith. There are gonna be times you'll walk through the wilderness, but he will come through because he will make a way where there seems to be no way and his timing is always perfect and he will come through just at the right time. God is never late and God is never early. He is always on time. And he wants us to dream big because he's a great God. I love the last verse, 2 Kings 3.18. It says, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. God says, hey, it's easy for me just to fill up all these ditches. And by the way, they got to choose how much water they got. Can you imagine if they would have just dug one ditch and waited till the morning and God would have filled it up and it wouldn't have been enough for them? But they believed God, and so they got to choose how much God blessed them, and they dug, and they dug, and they dug, and then God filled up all those ditches, and in the morning, when the sun rose, they saw water overflowing in all of those ditches. Those ditches became watering holes. And God said, this is an easy part. I will also deliver Moab into your hands. He says, I'm not only going to provide for you, but I'm gonna give you my power to win the victory. And so you don't deserve it, but I'm gonna do it anyway because I love doing things for my kids. And Jehoshaphat was one of God's kids. He says, not only am I gonna save you from your mess, I'm gonna give you victory over the enemy. Basically, he gave mercy and grace in the wilderness because mercy is when God doesn't give you the punishment you deserve. They deserve death for their dumb decision, but God came through and saved them from what they deserved. And then grace is getting a blessing that you can never earn or deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, that punishment, and grace is getting the blessings that you could never deserve. And so he gives them mercy and grace. Not only does he keep them alive, he gives them water. Not only does he give them water, he gives them victory over the enemy. Mercy and grace in the wilderness. God wants to give you mercy and grace in the wilderness. And the real reason we get stuck in the wilderness when there seems to be no way is because we forget two things. We forget how big and great God is and we forget how much he cares. And today, what I want you to do is just remember those two things. God cares and God is great. God is so much bigger and greater than we could ever fathom and yet he's closer than we could ever imagine. We forget those two things, how big God is and how much he cares. We forget that God is the maker of the mountains, the creator of the cosmos, the source of all solar systems, the designer of all DNA, and he is the maker of a way in the wilderness where there seems to be no way. You remember that today, and then you remember that he loves you and knows everything about you, and he cares about you, and when you walk into the wilderness and wander away from him, he's right there when you turn. Remember, return, worship in the wilderness and just take steps of obedience and God will come through and he'll show you his greatness and he wants you to show others the way. Let's bow together and pray. Dear God, we come before you today and I know there are many in the wilderness and Lord, it's not their fault. They've been following you and obeying you but right now it's just this wilderness time of testing and, and Lord, you always test us to bless us and I pray that you would just let them know that this is an easy thing for you, that you're gonna come through, Lord, and you're gonna meet their needs, and you're gonna make a way in their hearts, and you're gonna make a way in the wilderness to change everything around them for your glory as they keep taking those steps of faith. And then, Lord, I pray for those who, like me, so often wander into the wilderness going my way, and it ends up being a no way, that you would show them that you can take a no way and turn it into a way that's of you, that changes everything, but it has to be your way. Help us, Lord, surrender. Help us surrender to you. Would you stand right now? Would you stand, and would you, I want you just to hold your hands out front and try not to touch the person in front of you. I'm not saying we're getting ready to give back massages or anything, just hold your hands out, okay? And, and just kinda hold your hands out and as I pray and as I talk, just keep them out and just, I want you to be right now imagining the biggest burden you have and you're holding it, okay? You're holding that burden and it's, it's getting heavy. Just keep those hands out. And I want you to pray with me and just say in your heart, dear Jesus Christ, I thank you that you're big enough to hold this burden. You're big enough to hold me. 
and, and I feel like I'm just getting weighed down, Lord, in the wilderness, and I need you. And I've forgotten, Lord, how great you are. And so I return to you and I ask you to show me your way because you're gonna do something amazing with your grace and mercy and I wanna be ready for it. And so I wanna let go of this burden so I can be ready to catch all the blessings. So keep those arms out. Lord, I, I just wanna give up to you and I surrender. I've been trying to be God and I'm not and you are God. And I thank you for how great you are and how much you care about me. So I give you this burden right now and ask you just to bless and strengthen and make a way. And you just drop your hands now. It feels good, doesn't it? God's got that burden and he's gonna take it. And he's gonna take care of you because he knows and he cares and he has the power to change it. And I want us to sing because we're gonna worship in the wilderness, okay? When we worship in the wilderness, God begins to make a way where there seems to be no way. And we're gonna worship and we're gonna believe God for great things. Maybe you've given up on that dream and God wants to bring it back up in your heart so you can do it God's way this time. You take a step of faith and God will open the door. Don't wait for God to open the door. You take a step of faith. You step into the water and let God part the river because he loves you, he goes before you. Let's believe God for everything he's calling us to believe him for. That's our choice, that's our right. And at Woodlands Church, we've just chosen to believe God for everything that he wants us to believe him for. And he gets the glory, he gets the credit. It's all about God. Let's sing with all our hearts. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.